Well, good morning, everybody. Kind of a cold, crisp morning. But it's not as cold as it could be. I was here before you last time, and I, I felt like I was running out of time. And I had this beautiful picture of, from the Hubble telescope that was, I was going to show you. And, and, and it's just as a reminder that I'm always being encouraged by somebody, usually my, uh, somebody, my relatives, my family, my financial advisor, to go take a trip, go someplace. And, and what I was trying to end with at that time was the fact that we as Christians are promised such much more. At the end of our lives, we'll join him. We will see his glory, which was even greater than any picture thing that's already created and seen as we um, go through here. Um, but, you know, I still am probably prone to rattle on, so um, I fixed that. I put little thumbtacks in all the seats of the chair so that as you go through, they'll randomly poke you, and feel free to just scream out kind of like, ah! because that'll keep everybody else awake next to you, you know, and things will keep going, and I don't have to feel so bad like I put everybody to sleep. But what I wanted to communicate was the ultimate experience of heaven, and after we have come to Jesus Christ for the saving of our eternal souls through faith in him, what is it that we have to look forward to? The promise is the experience, the unclouded, intimate, and eternal glory of the Lord. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, uh, be with me while I speak from your word, from your holy Bible. Your honor your, you honor your son as he honors you. May the Holy Spirit guide the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts and be pleasing in your sight, O Lord our rock and our redeemer. I'm going to start with sharing some of what I was just talking about as Gary puts um, up. Listen closely to the words of Psalm 19, 1 through 6. The heavens declare the glories of God. The skies proclaim the works of his hand. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they pour forth knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not here heard their voice goes out to the ends of the earth, their words to the end of the world. In the events he has pitched a tent, in the heavens he has pitched his tent for the sun, which are like a bridegroom coming forth from his pavilion, like a champion rejoicing to run its course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is hidden from its heat. And Lord, this is just the beginning of what you want to show us. Years ago, I wondered, how is it that we get to experience all this? This thing called life, the miracle of birth, our own that we don't even remember, and the birth of our children and others that we do remember. This world we live in, the relationship we have, the death that we must also experience as we give up our bodies to the grave. I remember as a five or six-year-old child lying on my back in the rock garden in my 25th Street childhood home in Rockford. I know my approximate age because uh, the rock garden was flattened and a garage was built within two years after we had moved there, so I had to be about then. 
the, that age. The big rocks on the hill, on this rock garden, and there were pea gravel paths all along the different kind of winding throughout there. And I remember lying on one of those paths looking up at a beautiful clear blue sky with puffy white clouds passing by far overhead. I laid there mesmerized. Then I asked myself that very question, why am I here? I had been to church and there was an awareness of God and Jesus and Sunday school and long, boring sermons. But what could, what did, why did God even make me? Why was I lying on my hill in the rock garden with pea gravel stuck to the bare skin of the back of my legs and arms, looking up at the cotton ball clouds passing by, with a blue sky beyond that seemed to never, ever end? And if I'm here because God made me and God made the world and everything in the world, then who made God? And if there was another God that made God, then who made that God? It was too much for my little mind, and I got up and asked my mother, and she told me that nobody knows the answer to that question. By the way, it's still too much for my little mind. I bet I'm not the only one here that has ever experienced that kind of thought sometime in their life. I'm still wondering, 62 years later, who am I? Why am I even here? How? Why? For what purpose? We can admit that it's a mystery. Why do I exist? Why does anything exist? If we think very long about this, we feel like our thoughts will make our minds explode. If we are honest, we could admit to one thing. Those questions are mysteries. And we should be mystified by those questions. To us, God is a mystery and should be a mystery to us. It is okay to be mystified by God, but God is not mystified by him. Uh, by himself or about himself. We can even be mystified by why we are here, but God is not. We are here because God wants to share himself with us. That is God's primary purpose, to expose his own glory in and of himself, all of us, every man, woman, and child. Most of us have had those thoughts. Most people have wondered, where did God come from? You know what? He didn't come from anywhere. He came from everywhere. Psalm 139 says, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, you are there. Even your hand will guide me, and your right hand will hold me fast. He is ex nihilo, or self-created from nothing, or self-existing within himself forever and ever. That is why in today's scripture, Isaiah 42.8 says, God, where God says, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will give my glory, I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. God is the only one that is in existence that has not been created who is eternal, omnipotent in power, omniscient in knowledge, and has an unlimited love and compassion. He is a one of a kind, and no one else can receive glory or deserves glory as he does. However, God clearly pronounces one exception, his servant, his son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, because God the Father bestows his glory on him and all for our benefit, for the glory of God the Father. 
God's ultimate glory comes from his wonderful plan through his servant son, Jesus Christ. As Isaiah 42, 1 through 4 says, Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not cry out or raise a voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness, he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his law, the islands will put their hope. You are here on this earth because God wanted you here. Right here on this earth and maybe right here at this sanctuary at this very moment. Maybe you are here by habit. Maybe you are here because you are visiting someone over the holidays. Or maybe you just love the Lord and love to worship him. And if you weren't here, you'd be worshiping him someplace else. And then again, maybe you are here by pure, quote-unquote, chance, as there is such thing in God's vocabulary. The life you have been given was for a very specific reason. It was given to you because God ordained it. Yeah, that's where I'm supposed to be. The purpose of all creation, of all humanity, made in God's image, is to praise God, to give him honor and ascribe glory to the Lord. That is why we are in this magnificent creation of his. We are all living testimonies to his greatness, or at least we should be. I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give glory to another or my praise to idols. Isaiah 42, 8. See, the former things have taken place, and new things I declare. Before they begin, I announce them to you. Just beyond the scripture of today, what is subtitled in Isaiah 42, Song of Praise to the Lord, the writer says in the the inspired word of God, Sing to the Lord a new song, his praise from the end of the earth. You who go down to the sea and all that is in it, you islands and you, all you who live in them, Let the desert and its towns raise their voices. Let the settlements where Kedar lives rejoice. Let the people of Selah sing for joy. Let them shout from the mountaintops. Let them give glory to God and proclaim his praise to the islands. In other words, the whole world is to give glory to the Lord. To give glory to to God is not to say that God's glory is given to him by us, the creation that we are somehow, as the pinnacle of God's creation, as human beings, we are so special that we are capable intrinsically of bringing glory to God by our existence. It does mean that we are the only part of his creation capable of worshiping our God, the creator of heaven and earth. That is Jesus Christ who made and sustains all things, as Colossians 1, 15 through 16 says. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, For by him all things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers and authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the the firstborn among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy, for God was pleased to have his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, 
by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. We can see God's glory all around us, but we humans created in God's image are the only part of his creation who can ascribe glory to God and give him honor, praise, and appreciation for his created, visible, and invisible glory. All other living creatures are capable of are not capable of that appreciation. All the animals are capable of his, uh, all the animals are capable of is instinctive or hormonal in, in origin, and nothing more. It is up to mankind alone to worship God and to give God the glory. Yet upon Jesus' triumphal entry on his Passover visit to Jerusalem, some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Rocks, sunsets, snow-covered mountaintops do in fact declare the glory of the Lord, but we are the ones that acknowledge the beauty and supremacy of the God who made it. Nothing possesses the glory of the Lord other than the Lord God, creator of heaven and earth. There are communicable attributes that are divine, and there are divine attributes of God that are not communicable, are not shared, God does not share with humanity. The glory of the Lord is not one of those communicable attributes. The glory is connected exclusively to the salvation plan through Jesus Christ, as the first nine verses of Isaiah maps out plainly for us. Those attributes that are communicable would be called mercy and love, mercy, and interestingly, jealousness. I specifically did not use the word jealous, jealousy. The second definition in my dec- definition in my dictionary reads mental uneasiness from suspicion or fear of rivalry, unfaithfulness. It's like in love. That is the kind of reactionary thinking of young love, most probably because a relationship has not had time to prove fidelity to one another yet. Headstrong young men are probably more prone to, to this type of thinking. That would never happen in an all-knowing God. God does not have suspicions or fears. He knows everything. He doesn't have to conjecture things that are going on in someone's mind. He knows already. The third definition of my dictionary is the more accurate for our understanding. That is, under jealousy, salacious or vigilant in maintaining or guarding something. And there's another one. It's just called Bible, intolerant or unfaithful rivalry. That's the biblical definition that the dictionary has. I can see both at work in the Bible. Let me explain. Stopping at Farm and Fleet just before Christmas, Marcia and I had separated in the store to either divide and conquer our shopping list or because I have a propensity just to get distracted about every 10 feet when I'm in a store like that. I realized at some point that like sheep gone astray, I had gone astray. I went to find Marcia. I found her down at the end of an aisle where I saw the backside of a rather large and huskier man just disappearing around the corner pushing his cart away from his former location. Marcia saw me coming toward her and she got this funny little smile and commenced with an explanation. This other lady, this older lady, this short lady, came over next to me and was eyeing a heavy roaster pan way up high on the, on the top shelf. And, and, and she asked me to, to help her get it down. And 
I couldn't, so I said, well, I'll go get my husband, and I'm sure he could reach that down for you. And just then this young guy came around the corner, saw the dilemma, and helped with the pan. And Marsha laughed and said, I hope that lady doesn't think that young guy's my husband. <laughs> well, I became a sheep again. Only this time, I was a sheep in a trench coat. I was searching the aisles for that guy. I was jealous. Not in a suspicious rivalry way, but it was more of a protection, being vigilant and maintaining or guarding way. Kind of hurt to know that somehow I missed being called upon by someone I loved. It really bothered me. It was crazy. What's wrong with me? Why am I, you know, it's... It wasn't. <laughs> so as I worked through this study on God's glory, I realized how many times I've missed calling on God and inviting him to intervene in my life in times of celebration or when in serious need of help. If I can feel this way about a Christmas shopping trip, how often does God feel about being left out of events in my life, events in your life? Include Jesus every day in your life by assigning him the glory and because he will not relinquish it to anyone but protect it jealously, even as I felt jealous about another guy actually getting to do some work for Marcia, which was really for another lady. It was crazy. The thing I remember is that from the very beginning in Genesis 1, 26 through 27, God said, let us make man in our own image, in our likeness, and let him rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock and over all the earth and over all creations that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image, and the image of God he created him. Male and female, he created them. Remember, we are all in the image of God, so we all share some of these divine communicable attributes. But God will jealously protect his unique attributes. We don't call the shots. God does. What if one of your children or grandchild is building a tall block tower? She probably wants to knock it down anyway after she builds it, to her desired proportions. However, when her brother comes in and knocks it down, what a confrontation or a torrent of tears or wailing and trauma ensues. Why do we, who make things out of what God has already provided for us, get upset with God when things don't go the way we planned? Jesus, who created all there is from nothing for us, the crown jewel of his creation, when we do not show him the honor obeyed by his word, but who try to knock down all he's established. I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. So how are we doing? Are we really getting any better at winning the human race? And by winning the human race, I don't mean are we giving to God, I mean to, are we giving God the praise and the adoration he deserves? I do not mean beating out someone else. I mean, do we have the right goal, the right finish line in sight? Anyone running a race can cover the same amount of ground and maybe faster as the eventual winner will run. However, if one starts at the, at the end and runs to the beginning, or if he goes off course, he's disqualified. It seems to me that in many ways we are off course, becoming more and more resistant to giving praise to God as technologies intertwine with our everyday lives. Neil Postman, a professor at NYU, in 1985, wrote a book by the title Amusing Ourselves to Death. 
a public discourse in the age of show business. He wrote these two paragraphs in an introduction, or actually this was quoted from an interview from him from the introduction. The decline of the age of topography, or the written word, and everything that goes with it, and the ascendancy of the age of television. This changeover has dramatically and irreversibly shifted the content and meaning of public discourse since two media so vastly different cannot accommodate the same ideas. As the influence of print wanes, the content of politics, religion, and education, and anything else that conspires public discourse must change and be recast in terms that are most suitable to television. In studying the Bible as a young man, I found limitations of the ideas that forms of media favor particular kinds of content are therefore capable of command, changing the command of culture. I refer specifically to the Decalogue, the second commandment of which prohibits the Israelites from making concrete images of anything, of drawing pictures or making statues or depicting their ideas in any concrete iconographic forms. The God of Jews was, was to ex, exist in the world and through the world an unprecedented concept requiring the highest order of abstract thinking. Iconographic. Thus became blasphemy so that a new kind of God could enter a culture. People like ourselves who are the process of con- or in the process of converting their culture from a, world cent- a word-centered image. A word-centered image, like the Word of God is, to an image center might profit uh, by reflecting on this mosaic injunction. But even if I'm wrong in these conjectures, it is, uh, it is, I believe, a wise and particularly revenant supposition that the media of communication available to a culture are a dominant influence on the formation of the culture's intellectual and so- social preoccupation. In other words, you can look to most of our modern day communication systems and art forms Technologically, they're all inclined to diminish the written word of God. I would have to agree with Mr. Postman, who is referring primarily to the medium of television. The vast majority of our news communications now is on the Internet connections with Facebook or Twitter or whatever social media you would prefer to promote. Glory notoriety or attention do not seem to be focused in God in many of those places. They seem to be focused on the glory of the individual in almost every instance. What does the Bible say about itself? In Hebrews 12, in Hebrews 4, 12 and 13, the word of the Lord is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare in the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. What then are we to do? How are we to best honor him with the glory God deserves and how we rightly owe him? The best thing I can say is, in conclusion is follow the advice of the apostle. Paul in Philippians 2, 3 through 11. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, 
who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself, made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant being found in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the bottom line. I will give my glory to no one else, the Lord said. Give glory to God by accepting Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life and living a continual lifelong sanctification process of emulating Jesus as the apostle instructs. That is the instruction of our attitude of everyday life. Will you pray with me? Lord, have your Holy Spirit continually remind us of how that now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. And then we shall see face to face. Now we know in part, then we shall know fully, even as we are fully known. Amen.